So we'll continue on in the book of Luke. Last week, I kind of skipped over some things that I wanted to say, and then I realized I didn't, I didn't go over them. So I'll go back over that really quickly. In uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 22, yeah, verse 22, when he's in the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, all the people said, uh, verse 22 reads, and all the people bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? At that point, I think I pointed out that these people had known Jesus his whole life and I suspected he was probably a, a quiet child and, and all that and uh, probably did not cause much commotion after the incident in the temple when his family couldn't find him. If we turn back to chapter Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says this is after they went and acquired him from the temple when he was debating with the doctors there or the, the scholars of the law. Verse 51 says, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, which was subject and was subject unto them, but his mother kept all these sayings in his heart. So that word subject there unto them, he, he put himself under his parents, what would be the word? His parents' rule. He was under their rule. And this was customary at the time, like um, the, in the Ten Commandments, one of them is honor thy father and mother. And that's a very good one. Also, in the Roman world, there was a, a concept called pater familius. And that meant that the oldest male of, of a household was the absolute ruler of that household. He owned all the property. He could tell all the children what to do. He could tell them who to marry. Uh, that goes even for his sons and, as well as his daughters. And he also had power over right life and death of them. So if they weren't acting right, he could just have them killed. He could have his children killed with no, no re repercussions or whatnot. And also, we don't know exactly how much Roman law applied in the land of Judea because they were kind of under a special dominion when, when Pompey the Great took over the area, uh, probably around... 63 BC I believe it was they were granted certain autonomy to to continue on their their own religion and under their own laws as long as it didn't cause trouble for Rome there was certain things like Rome was supposed to have power over life and death so they they weren't supposed to decree death on their own from from what I can understand under the Jewish law uh, this was also also true, so we don't know exactly which one was operating at that time. But I'm not saying that Joseph, who was a good man, would have had his, his child put to death. But I'm saying that in those days when the father was alive, the children did not have an incredible amount of say. We'll look to the Deuteronomy 21, verse 18 for that law. Deuteronomy 21, 18 reads, and this is the law of uh, Moses. If a man have a stubborn or rebellious son which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and that 
when they have chastened them and will not hearken unto them, so they've tried to correct them and correct them and they're still being a pain in the butt or doing whatever they're doing, then shall his father and mother hold on him and bring him out into the elders of his city and into the gates of his place. So they bring him in front of the tribunal and they tell him what he's doing. And they shall say unto the elders of the city, This is our son, this our son is stubborn and rebellious and will not obey to our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. So he's eating all the time. Or Glutton can also mean he has no control over his uh, fleshly desires. And he's a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die, so that thou put evil away from you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. So this may seem a bit harsh to our modern sensibilities, but there you have it. So that, let's see. And all Israel shall hear and fear. We see in today's society many of the basics, criminals, the uh, murderers, the rapists, and all, they all come from households that do not have strong discipline. Now, there's outliers in this case, but, but in general, they come from broken homes, and they have no discipline. It's what leads to all these problems in society, unruly children. That is a Another reason why there is strong emphasis placed on family bonds in the Bible because it raises up good children which conduct a good society and pass on the knowledge of good and evil to their children or or to stay away from evil. We'll carry on in verse 22 for... Actually, we won't. We'll go to that uh, at another time when it's more applicable. So, turning back to Luke, at this time, I would speculate that, you know, Jesus began his ministry. It says that um, in verse three, uh, chapter three, verse twenty-three, it says Jesus himself being about thirty years of age. This is uh, traditionally about the time that a person would enter enter the priesthood in the Old Testament. So, as I was speculating, his father had probably passed away, but it would not be necessary for him to have been passed away once Jesus entered into his own, but it would have definitely taken some of the heat off of his family if his father was dead because Jesus was about to do some things that we you know ultimately led to his crucifixion and the death of many of his followers. And, and he knew this, so it, it did not really bring trouble on his family per se by familiar bonds. It, it ended up uh, costing his brother his life, but ultimately he gained eternal life, but that was because he was spreading the preachings of Jesus. Also, another thing that would point to this, in those days, it was not uncommon for an older man to marry a younger woman. We remember Mary was still a virgin. She was probably in her late teens, we would say. No telling how old Joseph was, but he was probably fairly old, much like John the Baptist's parents, he would have probably passed away early in Jesus' life. We don't have any much record of him after the flight into Egypt and when Jesus was a boy. But going back to the thought on Jesus being 30 years of age, we'll turn real quickly to Numbers chapter 4, verse 3. 
Numbers 4, 3, talking about the sons of Kohath, uh, of the sons of Levi, and they are priests. And it said, verse 3 says, From 30 years old and upward, even to 50 years old, all that enter into the host to do the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. So at that time, God's temple was the tabernacle. It was a um, magnificently apparelled tent that they carried with them wherever they went. they take it down, put it back up. So at 30 years of age, these people entered into the priesthood to take care of the tabernacle and to minister into the people. And this was the time, the age that Jesus began his ministry. So I left those things out last week and I kind of wanted to, to bring them forth. So we'll pick up now where we left off. I believe we he'd been ran out of Nazareth and he went to Capernaum and he had healed Simon Peter's mother of a fever and she'd immediately stood and ministered into them and uh, you know taking care of their needs while Jesus taught. And we'll pick it up in verse let's say 36 to get us Luke chapter 4 verse 36 and they were all amazed and spake among them saying what a word is this and for with authority and power he commanded the unclean spirits and they come out and the fame of him went out unto every place in the country round about so not only was he teaching a moral lesson he wasn't just a a guru, a spiritual teacher like we have in some of the Eastern religions. He was also able to perform miracles in the sight of men. And we should not forget this. Because the Bible says that he was able to perform miracles and either the Bible is true or the Bible is untrue. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever. And they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now when the sun was setting, all that they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Going back to that word rebuked, when he rebuked the fever. In Luke's gospel, Luke was a medical doctor and he used medical terms. Rebuking a fever is not a medical term per se. So it shows that he had supernatural power over the sickness. And then he healed, the, in verse 40, he healed the people and laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them, suffering them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. So Christ's spirit and these devils, they came from the same place. And we remember Christ was unique in having knowledge of the time before this age when the the angels rebelled. And also the demons would have came from that place as well. I can't remember if we got to it in the reading or not, but at certain times it says that virtue went forth from from Jesus 
and there seems to be a, a power that, that, that he radiated. And also, from this other realm, probably the wickedness of these demons radiate into this realm as well and influence men. We can definitely see it this week with, uh, with the evil that went on in some of the schools around. And it would appear that that may be the work of demonics and just evil in the world. Things are constantly in that other realm, just as Christ and the Lord is radiating the Holy Spirit. Also, the wicked spirits are radiating into our world as well. And we notice that he rebuked the devils so that they did not prematurely give knowledge to the people that this was in fact the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place and the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. Now, if we remember when he went into the desert to be tempted, he isolated himself and we'll notice throughout the Gospels that Anytime, or not anytime, but a lot of times when Jesus went to pray his most fervent prayers, he separated himself from all people and went alone to pray and to commune with the Lord, to, to gather his thoughts. Man is a social creature. We cannot, we do not do well without the company of others, but there is also times when we must have silence so that we can think and, and learn on our own and, and in those times perhaps hear the voice of the Lord. So these people wanted him to stay with them and not depart. This was a much different greeting than he received in his own land where he had, he had grown up. These people were begging him to stay and his whole people wanted to throw him off of the mountain because he offended them. And they were like, you're just like us. It was uh, Now he came with a new doctrine. And many times people will be jealous of things like that. And also religiously offended. Verse 43. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. For therefore I am sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. So he could not stay with just one people. He went into all people and he spread this message throughout wherever he went and healed and uh, taught in their synagogues. And through the healing and the teaching, early Christianity began to spread to many people in that area. Chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Now this is the Sea of Galilee. It's called a lake in Luke, and which is probably more accurate. It is as a, a large lake or a sea. It is around 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. Uh, from any point on it, you can see any other point around it. It is um, not so large that you can't see across it. It is lower than the area around it. There's a, the, the Golden Heights and stuff like that. And so the area around it is raised and they say it is very beautiful during the springtime when everything is green there. Also, severe storms will come up on this sea as uh, the east wind blows across and the pressure changes. It's noted for the, the porosity of the storms that sometimes come upon it. 
though it is just a large lake. Verse 2, And saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he, this is a, a separate incident, what is characterized in some of the other gospels. In this situation, they're washing their nets. In others, they're casting their nets or mending their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and this will be Peter, and prayed him that he would thrust down a little from the land and sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So this may seem strange, and we remember that this is not an ocean, so it is not like with waves and, and tide crashing, so it's not a lot of background noise. But also, as I said, the land rises up, and this creates a natural amphitheater effect. Like, so somebody 100 foot or so out in the lake in certain areas, they can be easily heard on shore because of the contours of the land. If we look at Greek amphitheaters, they are built in uh, depressions like this, and the actors would be down at the bottom, and the people sat up a high above them so that they can they could easily hear the spoken word from from the bottom. And people that visit these areas today are amazed at at just how good the acoustics are. And when he had left speaking, and said unto Simon, "Launch out into the deep." and let your nets down for a drought. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. So here, he, they've been working all night and it's been a bad night. I think we probably all went fishing, as most of my fishing expeditions are. <laughs> Don't catch much. And these... The fishermen were having a bad night and they probably were ready to go home. But they did as the Lord commanded. And he said, At thy word I will let down the net. So we see here that Peter does as the Lord commands. In verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes that their nets break or began to break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they come and help them. And they came and filled both ships, so that they began to sink. So that at the word of the Lord, when he lowered, and he listened to the commandment of the Lord, and he lowered the nets, they got so many fish that it was about to sink the ship. And they were probably in quite a panic there when their ship started leaning to the side that their friends had to come over and help them. And they loaded so many fish that it, begin to sink both ships. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. At this time, uh, Peter, this was very early in their meeting of each other. He had just began to gather his apostles and they had just began seeing his mighty works. But Peter knew that this was the Lord and he said that I'm not worthy to be with you and he fell down before him for he was astonished and all that were with him at the drought of the fishes which they had taken and so also was James and John the sons of Zebedee which were partners with Simon and Jesus said unto Simon fear not for henceforth 
thou shalt catch men. And so here we do have it. At this point, they did not become fishers of fish, but they became fishers of men. And through these apostles, most of the world was throughout history has been caught in their nets and brought into the Lord's fold. This is an illustration of just how many fishes they would catch. It would uh, would sink the ships. A little background on James and John. They had already been called by the Lord. Let's oh, turn there just myself to Mark. This is when this was a little prior to the episode we just read. This is when he first called them. We can. Just from thinking and supposition, we'll say that at first they probably did not follow him around at all the time, and gradually he would teach them more and more. I mean, we don't know the exact time frame for this. It could have been a week. It could have been a few days. It could have been a longer period than that. Mark chapter 1, verse 16, speaking of Jesus. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And straight away they forsook their nets and followed him. So they left what they were doing and they followed the Lord. And so at this time they would have probably also still had some, they would have also had to still make somewhat of a living in the area and, you know, uh, gather their food as well. Verse 19, when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship mending their nets. Now here we see that they were not washing their nets, they were mending them. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. It's possible that James and John were the cousins of Jesus. We may look at that later, but uh, it's possible that they were cousins. We gained a little bit of knowledge here about them and their situation. Immediately when they were called, they dropped what they were doing and followed Christ and even left their, their own father working there in, in the ship, which probably would have been a... Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe a no-no. But we also see that he was with the hired servants. So there is kind of a, a tradition or whatever that all these apostles were destitute men. They were not. If you have hired servants working in ships, then you are fairly well off. Yeah. Much more so than the other people. Other people are working for you, you know. We'll turn back to Luke. Chapter 5, verse 10, and he says, And from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. So in the earlier thing, he was in the area, and we know he taught in the synagogues, and he wasn't there very long in uh, Capernaum. So it could have been within, within two days of each other, two or three days, because he went to Simon and his wife's house. Simon was married. He was probably one of the older disciples. Jesus being 30, those that followed him would most likely be younger. James, I mean uh, John, since he lived 
the longest, which he is said to have a, a fairly long life, around 99 years, I believe, I think is tradition. But he would have most likely been the youngest. I think some people suppose in his mid-teens when he began to follow the Lord. After this, the miracle of catching all the fishes, they knew that they were with someone special and they left everything and followed him. And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him and saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. So we see here that this man had absolute faith that Jesus could heal him. He said, if thou will, thou can make me clean. And immediately Jesus put forth his hand. He touched a leper, which would have been a no-no in those times. Most people would have ran from a leper because of the contagiousness of their disease. And once you got it, you pretty much had it. Verse 14. And he charged him to tell no man but to go and show go and show thyself to the priest and offer thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And so he sent this man to the priest and in the law of Moses, you know, there's a certain gift you're supposed to give. I think it's so many turtle doves or whatever. I didn't uh, look to see exactly what it was, but it was um, it was to be given when you're healed from leprosy. And we see here that Christ, like he said on the sermon on the, excuse me, like he said on the sermon there on the mount that he came not to change the law, but to fulfill it. So here again, they are following the law of Moses in giving the sacrifice for being healed for leprosy. Verse 15. And so much more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. So again here we see he separates himself from everybody and he goes into the wilderness and prays. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which had come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So here we have uh, Jesus' fame is starting to spread throughout the, the area and people even as far away as Jerusalem are, are starting to hear of it and all the learned doctors of the law are coming out to, to hear him teach and to find fault with him. Verse 18. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. Then they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before Jesus. Luke, being a medical doctor, he correctly identifies a palsy, which is a wasting of the muscles, or we've seen people with like cerebral palsy in, in different conditions. Some are twisted so badly that they, they can't move. Most of them do not have control of their own muscles. We see this man here, he's in his bed and he requires others to bear him. 
And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, so there were people crowded all around the house where Jesus was teaching, they went upon the housetop and led him down through the tiling uh, that his couch should be in the midst before Jesus. So these people went up onto the roof of the house and tore in through the roof and lowered this man's bed down into the middle of the house uh, where Jesus was. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So Jesus knew, was well aware of what he was doing here. He came to destroy the traditions of men because at this time, and possibly on into the present day, certain religions make up their own rules. Men come in and make up very complicated rules of how to understand the law of the Lord. And in this day, they had very complicated laws on how far you could walk on the Sabbath and what you could do on this certain time and that certain time. And um, and so it was Jesus came to be against these. But in this particular case, it would have been blasphemy for um, a man uh, to take the place of God and say that thy sins be forgiven thee and Jesus would have known this surely. But we remember these are not just idle words from some man saying thy sins be forgiven thee because when he speaks these words the man who has never been able to walk can walk. So there are definite signs that come along it is not some lunatic saying forgiving sins it is a very sane man the most sane that has ever lived actually and saying these things with results and the scribes and the pharisees began to reason saying who is this which speaketh blasphemies who can forgive sins but god alone but when jesus perceived their thoughts he answered and said unto them what reason you in your heart? So some of these people were just thinking this and Jesus knew what they were thinking. Where is it easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee or to say, rise up and walk. But that you might know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. And he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. So, this man who had never been able to walk, who was twisted because of the faith of his friends, he stood up and the, the power of the Lord, and he stood up, took up his sick bed, and went into his own house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he had laid and departed into his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. We'll wrap it up, but we'll go back and look at one other part. In verse 20, after, they, after the man's friends have lowered his bed down, they, Jesus says, and when he, or the narrator says, when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins be forgiven thee. 
this word there is plural. So it is not just the faith of the man with palsy. This is a case for intercessory prayer or deeds. Because this man's friends had faith in the Lord, he was healed. And so we see there that when we do pray for others, it reaches the ears of the Lord. 